Everybody, we got the beat is the podcast you're listening to. Michael is the person talking. Who's the person talking on the other side? Um, you're not going to talk in third person like a weirdo like me? You've got I, Yeah, I know. I didn't know how to respond to that because that, kind of, that really weirds me out. So the person who is talking on the other side is Mindy. <laughs> I can't imagine people who do talk in third person all the time. There's a whole narcissistic ego thing that I will never understand. I can't even begin to think about it because it'll make my head explode. So let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. All right. So this episode is another TV little break from the movies. Uh, last episode we did Square Pegs. This episode we're doing Freaks and Geeks. Maybe the best one season wonder ever? Hmm? Question mark? Maybe? I mean... Holy crap. I would... What? This <laughs> spiked so hard when you did that. Sorry. I'm not talking that loud. It's just for some reason it went crazy. I have no idea why. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say it's pretty high up there. I still think Fireflies is pr- pretty high for me too. So I'd say those two would have to duke it out. Yeah. I love action with Jay Moore, but let, let's not even say it's on the same playing field. It's straight up just no. goofball comedy. These are Firefly had comedy and action and sci-fi and everything like that. It was a good mixture of everything. Um, and, and pretty much everybody from that show has gone on to you know bigger things. And the same thing with Freaks and Geeks. It's weird that they Absolutely. were so close to each other, critically loved, uh, hardcore fan following. Uh, Firefly, of course, has had further life with comic books and uh, I think there's some novelizations and merch and, of course, the movie Serenity. Uh, Freaks and Geeks, there's been no continuation, but I bet you if you, if you got them a good enough story and threw enough money at them, they might do like a reunion special, like, you know, a high school reunion something. Yeah. Um, it's going to be set in 2000. That's weird. It would be set when the show ended. <laughs> that would be so meta. Well, the same thing um, I was thinking with that 70s show. If you did uh, that 90s show where it's their kids now, and that, that, that weird time loop thing. Yeah, I don't know if that would work because they tried that 80s show and it wasn't so great. I love that one. It's not as good as that 70s show, but it's better than the last season of that 70s show. <laughs> well, that's the. I, I've never, ever finished it. Getting a Probably root canal is better than season 8. <laughs> I think that I never got further than 6. Anyway, we digress. Um, yes. So I felt. Uh, like it had been, I've watched through this, I would say four, five times, I'm not sure, but um, it had been long enough that I felt compelled, like, this will be enjoyable to, to you know, binge through 18, 42-minute episodes <laughs> in two weeks. Uh, I, I went through it pretty fast, um, and I finished a few hours ago, and... No, never, never disappoints. It, it, there's it, rewatching Freaks and Geeks is never a mistake. You know what I love oh. is, of course, the main cast uh, all became names for the most part. It's seeing all the hey, I didn't know that was like Ben Foster. Like I didn't know idea who Ben yes. Foster was at the time, and you're like, oh my god, that's him. And you see these people like, um, oh, doggone it, from The Office and uh, Parks and Rec. Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones, like seeing her when she was really young. It all is so strange to me. And Lizzie Kaplan, of course. So there's a lot of people just, uh, just uh, throughout this show that you'll see and you're like, oh, they became a thing after this. It was kind of ground zero was... for casting agents. 
there was a a person that I saw and I could not figure out. She looked so familiar. She looked the girl plays Vicky. She looked so familiar. Who is that? And I realized it's Joanna Garcia, who I don't know if you know who that is, but she is known for her bright red hair and she, you know, that's her signature thing and she's done tons of TV shows and whatever and but this was before she had her red hair she was a blonde and it was just like oh wow this really was like the early days and the you know Kayla um Yule who plays Maureen and she went on later to be on many many episodes of like Vampire Diaries and I was like oh shit I remember her from the, the you know of course what I know you from is that one episode of Freaks and Geeks. Very interesting <laughs> how much that stuff sticks sticks in my brain. Well, it's because we watched this so much. This is back in the day where there was no streaming. This was not available on DVD. I had about half of the episode recorded on VHS tapes. Uh, or maybe more. I can't remember. Um, We're so old. I, I, it was Saturday and uh, it premiered, and I, I, we loved the hell out of it. I recorded it, and I watched uh, with some friends later. I kind of shared the tape, like just spread the word. And sadly, it did not save the show, but I mean, I, I, all the awards and the love for it, and almost immediately it got really started mm-hmm. so much. And I think I've been through the whole series probably about 12 times. I was in the tape trading little thing for a while, and I was trying to get the episodes I was missing. So it was constantly, I had two VCRs going and making copies of this and the job with Dennis Leary and trading them with people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The job with Dennis Leary. Yeah. Um, dang, you know, if that show, if this show, like, had picked up for, for another season, it would have been because of us. I feel strongly about that. but I also here's the thing is I'm going to say right now I don't want a continuation I don't it's the perfect season it's just a moment of their lives so many shows are perfect the way they are I wish Heroes was cancelled after one season because you continue and then Freaks and Geeks turns into like I said that 70s show where it went on way too long or Happy Days or something Dawson's Creek where it was a massive fuck up until the very end boy yeah. That show caused me pain. Have I seen every episode more than one time? Yes. Yep. Was and we're going to discuss it on this yes. podcast eventually. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think that might be the, the biggest problem with American television is that it's all, it's all about the money and not the, the creation, the creating art, entertainment, whatever. And, and, you know, they they do it every show so, so long until it's, like, beating a dead horse. And it's, you know, it's your your favorite actors aren't, aren't even on anymore. And it's it's not really that as good anymore. And nobody's having fun anymore. And you can tell. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that is, you know, there's very few shows that ended in a, you know... Timely At a high manner. point. Yeah. Yeah, and while I don't necessarily agree with you about, like, it's not that I want more episodes. I just want to know, I want to know what happens to Lindsay frickin' Weir. Yeah. Because she is a mess. 
What like, I, she's trying to figure out who guess, she is, and yeah. I want desperately to know what she decides. You know what would be interesting Ugh. is if Paul Feig did this as a novel instead of an, a movie or a continuation miniseries. I would be interested to see what he would do. Like, a small novel on everybody's life after the show ended up to a certain point, and then there would be a final novel... Oh, fuck it, just make it a TV show. I just realized I just p- pitched the whole series. Like, each episode would be about one of the main characters, and then the final episode is them all coming together for one reason or another. I mean, I know it's a ripoff of St. Elmo's... Not St. Elmo's Fire. What's the one where they all get together for the funeral? Jeff Goldblum's in it, and Glenn Close, Kevin Klein. It's like the Boomer Baby movie. Everybody was fucking watching this movie. Yeah, I, I can't remember what it's called right now. But, like, something like that exactly where, where uh, James Franco's character dies. And they have maybe an episode or two with him, like, in the beginning. Like, where has he been up to this point? And then they all get together for him. Because if there's any character I think that's going to eventually fall apart, it's going to be him. Daniel, yeah, Daniel. So, basically, you're pitching the final episode of Dawson's Creek. Is that what the episode... Oh, my God, you're right. Fuck. <laughs> Shit, they're right. And the movie you're talking about is The Big Chill. Big Chill. Okay, forget what I just said. Never mind. Or maybe Daniel gets out of rehab or something and they all come together. You got me. I'm not a writer. So forget it. <laughs> but You're also clearly not very clever. No, I'm not. I, did, I forgot that was the end of Dawson's Creek. I completely forgot. Is it strange also that you referenced The Big Chill when it was directed by Lawrence Kasdan? It's all a conspiracy. Whose son directed the pilot episode? It's <laughs> all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. Mm-mm. He was even in it. Jake Kasdan was in it. Was in. Oh, you're right. The big chill. Oh my god, I just oh I just opened the wormhole in time. Uh, we have like the master uh, nerdum in here. Uh, Jake Kazan himself has said he's a fucking nerd. We have Paul Feig, who I read his books. Boy, he had a worse high school experience than I did. Uh, Judd Apatow. We have Jay Elvis Weinstein. Not a lot of people know who that is, but he was the original cast member on Mystery Science Theater for the first two seasons and then left because they didn't want to improv anymore. That's his name? Jay Elvis Weinstein. He created the best animated show I've ever seen, one season wonder called Mission Hill. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I definitely noticed him in a few episodes. Wait, is that what... We're talking about the guy who was in... He created it and was in it, right, uh, Mystery Science Theater? Correct. He was, okay. you, know, you know TV's Frank uh, in the later seasons. He's a chubby guy. He was the right-hand man to Dr. Forrester. He had the curly hair. He replaced Dr. Uh, Weinstein, I think it was Dr. For I can't remember. But whatever, he was in the first two seasons. Um, okay. And then, of course, we have the master of all nerdum is Mike White. That is a strange, strange little Damn, man. Damn, Mike White, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's there's just so many people in this show that you're just like, it's kind of a, it's just the casting is just one of the most phenomenal things I've ever seen. And like, I know casting, casting directors, I don't even know, like, how do you get to be one of those? And do you get Academy Awards? Because you really don't get, they don't get enough credit for the things that they do because, I mean, to pull together some of the genius shit that people pull together. Like I don't know. There might show. be there might be an award I don't know. Uh, for like best ensemble, and that goes to also the casting agents. I don't know for you know like an Emmy for that. Just like 
I just love all these people so much. And, you know, so many of them are character actors that personally I did not know from other things. I did not know Joe Flaherty, although I realize many people in the world know him from other things. You know, I didn't know, uh, I mean, like, Dave Allen is like Mr. Rosso. Oh, my God. He will always be Mr. Rosso to me, even though I've seen him in other other stuff. He's but... not the naked trucker to you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the naked trucker is referring to. Uh, should I be ashamed of that? It was a very short-lived show on Comedy Central. I want to say about 15, 20 years ago with him. And who's the guy? Whammy from uh, Anchorman. Damn it. <sighs> But they had a show where it was... David Kochner. David Kochner. And they had a show where they just did these sketches like the way Dave Chappelle did. And they had an uh, introduction scene where they come on stage in front of everybody. And I'm not kidding you. Dave Allen was fucking nude the whole time with a guitar in front of his crotch. Mm (laughs) Okay. Okay. But uh, But... so that and I think all three of Steve Higgins and his brother who was on uh, Malcolm in the Middle... They were in a comedy group on the Comedy Central back when Mystery Science Theater was first starting up called the Gruber Brothers and Allen. And all these Comedy Central guys kind of like linked in together. So you got uh, Joel Hodgson and you have Trace Ballou, of course, uh, uh, Josh Weinstein from the Mystery Science Theater team coming on. And then you have the Allen Gruber guys coming over. Um, I believe they were the only two shows brought over when it was comedy, the Ha channel or comedy channel. And then it became the Comedy Mm -hmm. Central's. I see. Yeah, just like so many of these people. I was thinking of Joel Hodgson's. I, I Hodgson, I think, was why I was like confused because I was like, I remember that guy from Mystery Science Theater, but because he actually was in several episodes. But right. Um, I he's think obviously that one I know better. The one revelation to me in this is Tom Wilson as a coach. His career was oh, done God. at this point. We only knew him as Biff. He was more of a stand-up comedian. He wasn't so much an actor, so he didn't get a whole lot of work. And he comes back in this, and I think he's really, really good in this. He's really good. I'm going to tell you a secret. Not so secret secret. Okay. So, you know, home movies. Yeah. McGurk. <laughs> I don't know if it was like, was it the same around the same time? Yeah. Because I think it's literally reason, the same I, year. I, think, I thought that he was the voice of the coach in home movies like i realize how dumb that sounds now but how like how like uh, illogical that would be that he would be doing both those things at the same time also coaches but i literally thought that was him and i was like hey my guy's having a good year you know yeah um i don't know what was wrong with me but uh anyway he's great and you're right. I think he was super brilliant. And I would, I admit that I would love to have seen, like, you know, the dynamic between him and um, Bill and how it maybe would have changed over the course of time after, you know, like their very, oh my God, awkward relationship sh- dynamic shift. I was dying, dying when, when there's, the episode where, you know, he finds out his, his mom is dating his gym teacher and then, okay, he did not take that well and <laughs> things were super awkward and then he fucking is sitting at the breakfast table eating his Count Chocula and the 
fucking guy just comes out in his like underwear and just like he's like you know obviously stayed the night and he's just like opens the refrigerator like it's his house and he starts drinking orange juice out of the mug that says bill and it was just like oh that might also be the best episode i really think okay so um i'm not gonna name names but i had a friend for a long time that was very he was almost enigma like sometimes where i couldn't figure what the fuck was going on in his head he was always just around like it was me and my best friend and then he was always like that third guy and he hung mm-hmm. around a lot at our house, but I never could figure him out. I think half the reason I kept him around is because I was trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. And Bill... Because he was like, never would... You, you couldn't ever, like, read him. Right. His communication was almost non-existent. Um, he just loved watching movies with us and hanging out or whatever. But Bill Haverchuk is essentially mm. him. I watch him, and I see my wow. friend. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, got, I can't figure out Bill really either. But this episode... They really spend a lot of time with his character uh. in you know. So I see myself in this too because I see a lot of what uh, um, you know. I was small my freshman year. I, I mean, I'm five eleven now, but at the time I was like ninety three or something pounds. I was five foot. I was picked on all the time. I was so awkward, um, prone to terrible crushes. Um, I would later become like Sam Levine's character with my fucking jokes that were nonstop. Ooh, but then remember yeah. I was so lost and I couldn't find my group and I felt a lot like yeah. Lindsay. So th- there's a lot of me in these characters. I really connect to this. Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, it's interesting that we were going to do, you know, the two shows together in one episode but we had so much to talk about we decided just to leave it singularly but it is interesting you know the time period is not quite the same but it's close uh the approaches are similar in that the kind of you know nerdy kids that the outcasts are are the main focus the stories are, are from their point of view so those are similar elements on both shows but just kind of the approach everything else about it is really 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 different yeah um and where if you if if y'all listen to our episode about square pegs you will hear me uh complain at nauseum about how awkward and uncomfortable every episode made me as opposed to this where i mean maybe it's partially due to it's in reflection about on that time you know it's because they're looking back and can see you know things as opposed to in the moment uh but also i think a lot of it has to do with truly the people who who are telling the story you know right it's bittersweet nostalgia it's almost like cleansing of emotional pain a lot of the time where um, I don't think Square Pegs honest enough. I I, I do believe that no. I, I believe I that, that the was, the yeah. the creator wanted to and Beats wanted to, but she also knew the yeah. rules of how network television ran at the time. If you're going to do a half hour comedy, you have to have the, these yeah. certain beats, and that's what brings the show yeah. down. So so I guess my point is exactly what you're saying that there is just such such a sincerity and such a truthfulness. And, and even though, you know, they deal with so many different elements of the teen experience in 18 episodes, 
it doesn't feel like, you know, um, after school special, you know, topic of the week. Right, which is something I'm dreading with Degrassi, but I've never seen Degrassi, so I might be just saying this incorrectly, but another thing I I want to explore is that show. I'm going to be honest with you, I have seen some Degrassi, the newer ones, not the original, but it feels very much like... Um, I don't know, the drug episode of Saved by the Bell? Oh! All of them. Oh, so it's heavy-handed, huh? Mm-hmm, kind uh, of, yeah. I think they're um, really I mean, subtle that's... in this show. With everything, they're really casual about it. They're not pounding you in the face. Well, they're not trying to teach you a lesson. They're just, they're trying to be real. And, I mean, for life is super messy there's no clear answers about things nothing is black or white right or wrong i mean that is real life and that is how they presented it you know in a truly relatable sometimes sad sometimes painful sometimes hilarious way and somehow in that short period of time they were able to really create something true and lasting. Yeah. The funny thing is, when Undeclared, which is almost like a sequel series in spirit, uh, when it would come out, it was a half hour, but they were still able to have a lot of heart mixed in with the jokes. Like, all the lessons they learned from this, they they took over to that show. The problem is, is it's just not as good. It's not. Um... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to like no, we won't compare the two right. because I did not, haven't watched those episodes in a very long time. But um, yeah, I do think you know that they learned a lot from this 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 show and took it forward. But um, it's really hard to have the same emotional depth in 22 minutes the yeah. 22 minute comedy well also you're talking um, about now I think some of the best shows about uh, students tend to be reflective if you look at like that series yes. show in the in the beginning uh, Happy Days this I'm trying to think of, there's, there's gotta be a couple other shows that are more like retro like looking back on a time I mean I guess you know Wonder Years was one yes, of the first yes yes thank that. you um but it, it's you have more time to sit with the past instead of like what's cool now? What is everybody talking about now? 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 That's exactly the thing. Is it's like you know with Square Pegs, they were trying so hard to be, you know, hip or whatever, be uh, timely in a in a time that was so ugh, that they lost. So much of, I think, probably what she wanted. Right. And that's another thing about the show is that it is before MTV changed a lot of the youth culture. And if the show had continued, that had to be addressed. And I don't know if I want to see that. This is a perfect time capsule of pre-MTV. Yes, I don't want to see Lindsay Weir with, like, Big Bang. <laughs> or, or he's auditioning for Flock of Seagulls. You know, I don't want that to happen. Exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, there's so many things that I, you know, I like about it. The fact that, you know, they're so, some of the characters are so oblivious, like, 
example. Um, you know, him and his drumming and his music love and how much he wants to be a drummer as a profession, but he sucks. Yeah. Like, he is in so much denial, and he he wants it without putting in the work. And that is such a teen thing to do. Well, he spends so much time buying the biggest equipment ever instead of mastering the right. basic. Right. Yeah, you can't, you can't impress a band by how big your drum kit is if you can't actually play that drum kit. Like, it's just like you're totally missing the point. But it's not just a teen thing, which is why I think so much of this can be, you know, it's still relatable. But it's, you know, so pervasive in teens. And then, I mean, I think there's plenty of delusional people in their 20s and 30s that want things without working for them. You know, it's a very, it's a very relatable. Yes, do I want to, you know, be thin and have good, like, you know, and have muscle? Yeah, but that doesn't happen overnight, and nobody seems, people don't seem to get that. Yeah, like that's really hard work. But I want to lose weight um, now, and, so I'm going to take math. Any, you know, <laughs> anything, anything worth doing, like, takes time, and if you're not willing to commit that to, to a hobby to yourself to to a decision then i mean you're really then shut the fuck up you know yeah it, that's, that's my problem no to be fair um my life has been uh fits and starts and obsessions and burnouts because well i don't put a lot of time into things and i'm impatient and then i just realize yeah. at this moment the only thing that i have been good at is this show it's getting better, and and you listen to some of the early podcasts. It's not personal. We're not getting into the deeper part of what yeah. we're discussing. It's kind of generic, and learning the difference. It's kind of like how you interview people. I fucking hate watching talk yeah. shows where they had a pre-interview and they're setting up jokes. Whereas it's yeah. different with you, like Mark Marin, where he's diving into who is this person? Yeah, sure, you're here to promote you, something, but why should we care about yeah. you? Have you ever watched Hot Ones? I don't even know what that is. Oh, it's a it's it's a show that Scott introduced me to. It started on YouTube, and I think it's now on like Hulu and stuff too. But it's this really cool show. It's been on for many years. But the what happens is is the guy does an interview with with a, a celebrity or whatever while they're eating hot wings. Okay, okay. I was wondering and, if it was that show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it gets, you know, they start basic, and then it gets, like, increasingly more difficult. But this dude, he does not, he is not lazy with his questions. He he really, like, deep dives. He does so much research, and he asks his guests questions that you never see people ask on talk right. shows, you know? Well, what I hate He's about talk never... shows is they don't treat it like it's special at all. Like, oh, my right. God, you're talking to this person. This may be the only chance you ever speak to this person. But you're right. just like, well, he's here to promote something. We're paying him, so it's just uh, let's get this done. Yeah, and there, he's he's never gonna ask, you know be that douchebag that asks Scarlett Johansson, uh, your outfit's so tight. Can you wear underwear under that thing? <laughs> hey, why did you date Colin Jost? What's that about? You know, I think so. They're, aren't they married now? I think. Anyway, so. I oh. think it's some. I think you should give it a shot though, sometime because it is like I said. Uh, 
great, insightful questions, but also in such a unique and kind of vulnerable setting. These people, half of these people end up like crying well, more oh for the God. interview be- because of the hot wings. It's so fascinating. Anyway, well, I digress. This, okay. no, this actually helps because it's going to lead me to something else that I just realized about the show. One of the cool. big problems in the show is about certain people not listening and then the others who are. They're so narcissistic on some parts. And, like, yeah. Lindsay seems to be the only one who's really listening to anybody. Because, like, Sam is so obsessed with Cindy Sanders that he's not seeing what's right in front of his uh, face. That was a, a, an unbelievable moment where he realizes, I got, I, you're the dog that caught the car, now what? You know? And then he realizes uh, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, it is a. It was a totally fascinating thing because, while I'm not so sure that that's very realistic that he would ever catch the girl, but it was so painful that she was just like, "I'm only dating you because you're nice," and he's like, "Yeah, but neither one of us is having any fun." Yeah, like that's so mature. This movie's so stupid. I don't like it. And he's like, "Oh." And and I'm gonna be honest with you and say that if his if his scale is do you find the jerk funny or you don't find the jerk funny I would live and die by that guideline. <laughs> you do not think that I am not kidding. If you do not think the jerk is funny, you can go fuck yourself. Like we can. I did not we expect this. We could not be friends. I was like, well, maybe I'm being superficial. She's going to tell me that's a superficial thing. And I'm like, oh, no, we're on the same nope. page. <laughs> there are so many things in life that people make decisions on that are stupid and superficial, but that is not one of them. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those perfect uh, – the episode was so good, too, because he has – it's one of those – few moments i mean there they do happen throughout the show where the freaks and the geeks intersect where her you know Lindsay's friends and one of the boys mingle and they have such interesting uh depths to their conversations like how how much did uh ken and sam how much insight did they gain from the short conversation that they had with each other that, you know, they both had lightning, lightning bolt moments about their relationships, totally different decisions. But that conversation really like meant something to them. Like Ken basically decided he was being a douchebag to his girlfriend and he needed to get his shit together. And Sam decided he was being a douchebag to himself. So he needed to break up with his girlfriend. But those, those like, you know, those really brief but lovely moments where, where they mix was such a, had such an interesting dynamic. Yeah. It's, I, I Instead of going to the characters, we're gonna. I want to discuss quickly about all the episodes, and that helps dive into the characters a bit. But of course, there's a pilot, and I always love pilots that um, where the people aren't prepared for the time or or whatever the character is. They all have short hair, <laughs> and throughout the season, they start uh-huh. to look like they're from actually 1980 instead of 99. Um, <clears throat> but that one is a big moment because it really develops like Eli. Uh, what happens with Eli really? Uh, you know, steers Lindsay as a person and makes you love her. She fucks up. She just does. She fucks up and, and it somehow even gets worse and then there's redemption for her and there's a brief moment of bliss with Sam. We really don't get to know anybody else. This is Sam and Lindsay's story. 
And that kind of goes for the next few episodes, but because uh, the Beers and Weirs, I think, is the one where I fell in love with the show. Uh, it, it really locks down who the characters are and their little adventures. And the fact that they go to such links, paranoid links, to hide the real beer and get the fake beer while Bill gets plastered. <laughs> and just these little I bits of conversation love... or the party gets out of hand. Yeah. Everything's just... I mean, I feel like... I mean, you're right. Ultimately, this is Lindsay and Sam's story. But, you know, as as we get deeper in, it really, you know, delves more into, uh, you know, the side characters. And by seeing the relationship that they have with each other, Sam and, and, and Lindsay, and with their parents, you, then you get to learn so much about everyone else, too, by how how their dynamic is viewed from those other people. Right. It is such an interesting... St- I mean, it, it, it is, at, at the heart, you know, a, a coming-of-age story with the real challenges of, of and, and heartache of being a kid, of being a teenager, but also, you know, the, the parental dynamics and... The, the difficulties that people are facing um, on so many levels. And I was just thinking, like, uh, this is the episode where they really address her change, where Millie comes yeah. in and she's like, what are you doing with these people? I don't understand. They dra- they, they mention it in the first one because she's not going to be in their little debate club or whatever it was, math club. But this math is the one where she yeah. really confronts her about what is going on, who are these people, and then there's that really weirdly honest but goofball scene where she's singing with Ken, not Ken, yes. uh, with um, Nick. Nick. With Nick. Where and if I've never been able to hear the song again without thinking of them singing it together, there was kind right. of a sweet weirdness to it. Well, I think part of it is is like she's just so so herself. Like she does not care what people think. She is so true to herself, and Nick is such sort like just like a kind of a fun loving guy that he tries to find the fun in things and uh, just sort of was just like you know, hey, this is I'm along for the ride, yeah. and they have like a genuinely nice time. I, the funny thing is, it's the freaks and the geeks are so unsure of who they are. But Millie and Harris, I'm pretty sure it's Harris. He's the tall Google. Oh my God, Harris, Those two know exactly yes. who they are. There's no shame. And I yes. fucking love every second of it. That is a super good point, that they are so confident. And he, I mean, he does, over the course of the, of the episode, kind of talks about his confidence and how he got to that point. But yes, you're right. They're so fascinating. I okay, imagine later. I imagine like thirty yeah. years later, he's at his own. He owns his own coffee bar where he sells his books or whatever. And he's always at the counter spouting philosophy, and no one says this guy's full of shit. They're like, no, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Let's listen to him. Maybe. <laughs> okay, we move on to tricks and treats. Uh, tricks and three. treats is the one where it's really like I remember this moment in my life. You remember it probably too because I was with you when you find out that you're too old to trick or treat. I had my werewolf costume. We had just recently moved to a new town, and I was just aging out. But I figured I'll get one more Halloween. And just these kids were harassing me to put my mask on or whatever. I was roasting, and I just felt like I was out of place now. I was almost 14, and I was like, oops, yeah, I'm done. And you see that with Sam, and you're like, yeah, I know what you mean, kid. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I think the thing that sticks out with to me more <clears throat> in that episode is when this is really where you see her do something inappropriate to try to be cool, to yeah. try to be, like, to be part of the group where she uh, is, they're destructive and they're, like, damaging mailboxes and, and pumpkins and the whole awkwardness of her trying to be so badass and then her foot gets stuck in the pumpkin and then her shoe comes <laughs> off and yeah. it's all just, she has to run, she has to run back to the car with, like, her, the pumpkin because it's, and, and so she she's not even good at being bad and then she eggs her own brother and that's just devastating. She's trying so hard to be cool that now she's hurting the, like, the person she loves the most, you know? Yeah. That's that's a really Ugh. like honest but heartbreaking bittersweet episode. Now the next one is the one that's very hard for me to watch because Lindsay tries to uh, be friends with Kim and she goes to her house and she meets her family and they're all insane. Right? This is the episode. Ugh. Or is that a different episode? Yes. Um, but they're all fucking weirdos and abusive and her boyfriend's strange and you know there's a moment where I saw where her brother who's Mike White is just laying on the couch. And I was that fucking dude. Uh-huh. I think we mentioned it on the show before, but I was eh, sort of bedridden for three years. I was in terrible, terrible pain. And I was the weirdo brother that hung out on the couch where my sister's friends came over. And I'm sure they were like, what's up with him? <laughs> I, I mean, But of course, a lot of that's just my neurotic insecurity. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think that actually really happened. Nope, that's all I'm I mean, I, I'm, anyway, I, it, the weird thing is, Yes, the dynamic at her house was just so, so, like, you can see how mortified Lindsay is and how, like, confused and, like, she's just like, oh, my God, I have to get out of here. And the weirdest thing is, like, the lady who plays her mom, um, Ann Dowd, is, like, just such a magnificent actress, and she's, like, mostly serious, and yeah, I think I does think a lot of theater and stuff. Did you see that? I'm pretty sure she's the lead in compliance. And, yeah, she is in compliance. Um, and I'm just like, oh, I didn't even realize that was her because she's so committed to that character, uh, that, that, you know, trashy, whatever. So sad. Um, <clears throat> I, I, Benton Harbor then, Way still makes me fucking crack up. <laughs> oh, I know. Benton Harbor Yeah, uh-huh. She's the worst liar. This is how we <laughs> learned that Lindsay is the worst liar in the history of the world. And also, Kim really should have given her a little warning. Yeah, but it's, a little it's, bit. It's sad to me that she wants so badly to be friends with this girl who is just so awful to her. But you now kind of get a glimpse into her life to, to understand a, a, a little bit why she is this person. Yeah, uh, it's it's a rough one to get through, but it's it's necessary to understand her character, who I could not stand until this episode. And I think that was the point. Yes, I think so too. Um, I also get super mad about the uh, how illogical it is that Sam got in trouble and had to write a paper because he defaced his own locker. I yeah, mean, that's how just dumb stupid. are you, dude? Uh, yeah, and then in his desperation to get out of a fight, which I've done. <laughs> that's how I became funny. I didn't want to get punched in the face, so I would tell jokes and be goofy. Yeah. I just, I think this was like, you know, just one of those real injustices that those boys uh, were sub- subjected to that made me so fucking pissed. Yeah. And it, and that's just, you know, the beginning. 
the uh, the next episode, Tess and Bress, is where you really get to know Daniel and how he can manipulate the fuck out of people. And I believed him and everybody else did when he tells this story. And then I was a stupid kid or whatever. And then she fucking goes in hysterical laughing. And I am with her the whole way because it's so ridiculous the way he pulls it off. But the thing is, is like, if she had just shut up, that then they might not have gotten in trouble. But it's just, she's just so in shock by how good of a liar he is that she's just floored. And she's uncontrollable. It's the funniest moment. Uh, number six is I'm with a band where we discussed most of this, but there's something in this episode that haunts me to this day because it kind of happened to me. I wasn't thrown out of the bathroom naked, or the locker room naked. I was picked up in the dead of winter, and all I had on was my shorts. No shoes, no shirt, thrown out the exit door, which was at the back of the building. Every other door was locked. I had to run around the entire goddamn building, and we had a very, very large high school. I had to run all the way around to the front door and then walk all the way back in after being in snow. All the way back to the locker room. As the bell went off, I ran like hell through the hallway into the gym, into the locker room, finally got my clothes on. My God, that's awful. Is this the first you're hearing this story? I don't know. I think think it's quite possible that I blocked out many years of memories. Yeah, Um, yeah, that was my freshman year. That was the worst. Can I point out two things quick about this episode? Sure. The guy, uh, so so this is the first time we see Nick's dad, right? So Nick, uh, Mr. Andopoulos is played by Kevin Teague, who I know and will always associate with him in Newsies as the villain. Yep, he became a villain. He was a hero in the beginning of his career because he was on a show called Emergency. But then in the 90s, oh. he became a de facto like asshole. Uh, I think it was, uh, just, he showed up in um, Roadhouse as kind of a tough, no-nonsense guy, oh. and that kind of changed his career. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not necessarily a bad, I mean, he is kind of the bad guy in Nick's story. I guess antagonist is, really, is a better way to say it. He, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he's just, you know, fed up and clearly doesn't know how to parent this kid, and... Uh, anyway, so I just, that was one big thing for me. And the other one is, uh, I'm sure he was in other episodes. He keeps shows up quite a bit is Sean Weiss, who we have discussed before, um, in passing, I think, because Sandler, he right? was in a lot, right? No, he, no. he was, no, that's Chauncey. Yeah. That's Chauncey. What's her name? Who right, is, uh, yeah, uh, not, yeah, yeah, but, uh, Squints. No, I'm thinking the kid from Mighty Ducks, right? What was he in that we discussed already? I can't remember. I can't can't remember either, but um, I don't know if we actually discussed something he was in or we were discussing some, you know, people that had kind of a rough rough go of it. And he came out on the other side. Yeah, I'm so excited about the Mighty Ducks, and I hope that there's some redemption for his character or, or just for the actor himself, like they can bring him back in. Yeah, I'm just happy, like, I, I just am very happy to see him come out the other side of, you know, uh, addiction and, and and pain, and hopefully he has a happier life, but I, he was really a, a fun, just sort of, you know, 
side character it, that showed up in many episodes. So that I just wanted to mention that. Um, where are we at right now? Oh, a seven. Uh, carded and discarded. This might be the least memorable episode for me. All I remember this is, is... Is this the fake ID episode? Yeah, this is the one where they make friends with that new girl who's kind of pretty, and they're like, let's latch onto her because we need someone that's, you know, not a freak like us, or a, a geek like us, and slowly losing her. And I've seen that happen, where you make friends with a new kid, and you're like, oh, oh yeah. they're a lot cooler than me. There they go, bye. <laughs> I mean, I think the funniest thing about this, and you're right, I think it is less memorable, but the funniest thing about this is, is like, Harris, who is the kid who's a little bit older than them that they go to for his sage wisdom, and he tells them that the way to keep this girl is to impress her by going out to an all-you-can-eat restaurant, <laughs> and they're like... Oh my god, this is genius. Why didn't we think of this? Oh my gosh. And the and the scene where you know, the scenes where they're there at the restaurant are some of the funniest where David Kochner shows up as their waiter and is brilliant in his 30 seconds. <laughs> um the next one is another squirmy one with girlfriends and boyfriends with Nick being just a little too forward and too upset. He is like five steps ahead of Lindsay in the relationship. He's made more of this than she has. And I will never hear Lady of the Morning ever again without getting uncomfortable. I will tell you that that is so uncomfortable. I mean, I think that's the point. But Jesus... You're just like he is singing to her, and you you are dying inside watching it. Oh, and then she's just like, "Oh, I'm in way over my head," and you can see it the minute it comes into her face. You know, like, oh no, what have I done? Yeah, it's the show <laughs> never. And when I ever say a weaker episode, I mean or non memorable episode is because it's not plot driven; it's character driven. Like. And I would say there's a dip here. I'm looking at the episodes. We've got Spirit and the Diary are not necessarily plot-based. They're character-based. You spend a lot of time with them. So are we moving on to We've Got Spirit. We've got That's Spirit. the one where yeah, Sam but... is, is gets to be the mascot. And he takes he takes over the, the role from uh, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, right. I forgot that he and was on this show. And he's... He's teeny tiny, the the twee itty bitty version of Shy. I mean, this might have even been before his Disney show. I'm not sure. He was so itty bitty. I don't know because I know um, Holes is a few years after this. How far was he into his own well, show when Holes? Yeah, Holes was Holes was after he had had his own show for several years on the Disney Channel. Okay, so maybe he just did yeah. like on a summer break or something. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, he was just so little, and it was adorable. But uh, I think this is when, kind of when Neil starts getting really intensely obnoxious for me. Uh, when he just, he's just so obsessed this entire episode with comedy and how funny yeah, he yeah. is and how, like, he's just, it's so aggressive. And I, like, I really like Sam Levine. Uh, Sam, is that his name? But I, I think that for me, honestly, Neil 
I mean, he has some really touching moments, but I he is one of my least favorite characters. And there, this there is where times, it starts, I think. What I see in Neil is when I become kind of exhausting with my comedy. Like, I don't know when to quit. And it was really bad when yes. I was young. I used to annoy the shit out of you. And I would test you to see how much you could handle. And I felt like such a fucking asshole. But I guess that's the goal of older brothers to tease their younger siblings. But I mean, it's just, it's a sibling thing. I don't really, I didn't really think that much of it. Sometimes though, I look back and I was like, I was really heavy with the jokes. I could have been cooler. Shut up. Now I, I bring joy to all my coworkers at, uh, cause all I bet you miserable. do. Uh, they like me and I have no idea why. Um, maybe it's cause I can reach the high stuff. That's it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's it. Uh, number 10, The Diary. This is another one where I can barely remember it. I thought I knew this series backwards and forwards. I didn't watch it again because I thought I knew it back to back. This is the one where he calls his coach, right? And he touched boys' butts or something yes. like that. Now, is he Dude. dating his mom yet? No. Okay. No. He just gets, they just get pissed because I think this might have been the, it was, I can't remember if this is the episode where they pay, play, like, baseball and they pick the teams and they're always picked last. Oh, right. That's why he's mad. I, maybe. Because first he calls pretending to be the dad of um, the, 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 what's the bigger kid who, who, like, he smells and, oh, Gordon. Yes. And it's, it's so interesting. I, I do, I, I mean, these side characters, though, they get depth too because they don't like they don't like gordon he's weird and he smells bad but then the sam ends up being like partner lab partners with him and they end up having to get to know each other and he finds out that like there's so much more to gordon chris and he smells bad because he has some disorder and he ends up like you know bringing him into the fold and accepting him uh as part of the group which i think was nice yeah it was really sweet I don't think that that's the great thing about the show is even the fucked up characters like uh, Kelly or Kim Kelly, um, there are they have heart. They're not soulless. I mean, except no. for maybe uh, damn it, who's Chancey Leopardi's character again? Squints. Uh, his character. Alan. Uh, his name is Alan. Alan. Does he have redemption? I can't remember. A little bit. We'll talk about it when it gets to that episode. Oh, okay. Um, anything else about this episode? I don't remember the second half. Is this the one where she, uh, her parents, like, get paranoid and start reading her diary? Yeah. they. Yeah, it's because their, Kim Kelly's mom comes over for dinner and puts some messed up stuff in their heads. Um, basically tells her she's not, can't be friends with Kim and uh, all this stuff. And so they overreact and do invade her privacy. Yes. Uh, the next one is... Oh, God. Is this the disco suit? Is this the baby no. blue disco suit? Yeah. I can't remember. Yes, this is the disco suit. Oh Looks and books. This is... Two major things happen. This is the first time that she's, like... She questions her relationship with them. And I think she's... This is the one where she steals her parents' car and wrecks it. And then she gets grounded. And then she goes back to Mathlete Lindsay for a little bit. Yeah, and, and then and where she realizes then, she can balance both worlds. Yeah, and then Sam, yeah, decides that what he really needs is a makeover, and Dear he Lord. gets the worst advice ever and goes to school in a leisure suit. Oh, God. I'm just thinking about it. his hair all, like, whipped up. Oh. I think this is the actually the episode where he uh, gets 
isn't this the episode where he gets pushed out on his underpants? I so thought naked? Was, I thought that was so much earlier because there's an episode where he's talking to Mr. Couchess, whatever the the gym teacher. Well, that's not Mr. Couch, that's a math teacher, whatever. But he's talking to him about yeah. how he doesn't want to take a shower. It could be this one, but I thought it was so much earlier. Oh, I can't remember now. What? I just yeah, I can't remember. The, uh, this is this is a, a goofy episode and it makes you squirm, man. Um, that's a, that's what it did really well. Unlike like the way that Curb Your Enthusiasm or The Office will make you squirm, it's I think it's because you can connect to it so much more. Like, yep, I've been there. Oh, I've done something like that. Yep. Okay. Um. Next one, the garage door. I think this oh, one might yes. hurt more than almost any of them this is this is where um i i do have a lot of like empathy for neil and you can see where his one his absurd um confidence comes from and also his his, but also the humor to mask his pain comes from so he sam sees Neil's dad. This is where we meet Neil's dad, I think. Um, being a little too friendly to a woman at the store, and um, basically, they all they think that he's cheating, and he decides to investigate and finds a, a garage door opener that does not go with their garage door, and um, is determined to find who, where the house is that belongs to to prove or disprove his dad is cheating on his mom. And it turns into hours and hours and hours and hours of suffering and riding their bikes up and down the neighborhoods, trying to open garage doors. And he is just in so much pain. It is so heartbreaking. And then when he does get the garage door open, Oh God, it's, it's, it is truly painful. This is an episode where they were smart enough to step back from the characters that we've spent so much time with to give more time to the secondary characters because this is yes. only Ken's big episode. Well, not, oh, no, no, yes. His big this one is kind of like... This is where they lead... No. This is leading to his big episode. Yes, I love this. I can't believe that this happens so so early earlier than I thought, even though I just watched it, that he... It's the first time that he likes a girl and he has a little more depth to him than just giving everybody shit all the time <laughs> yes him and the tuba girl i love I'm, it i'm looking at the yeah she was so i don't know what happened to her but she was a really good actress uh she's so i told you that what? she she's the one who died like like a month ago oh shit okay, remember i, I yeah, sent yeah, it yeah, to yeah. you Oops. and i was like super like upset she's the same girl that was in um election okay okay yeah, I, I never remember now. I, I apologize for forgetting that. She was so she was in a bunch of like stuff for such a short time, and I thought she was so great. And I don't know what happened, but had seen that really recently that that she died. Uh, episode thirteen, choking and token. Holy crap! When Alan finally gets that, this is the episode where he gets his comeuppance and uh, has yes. to apologize because he nearly kills Bill because he doesn't believe uh, he's like one of those bullshit I bet he if Bill or, sorry if Alan was around now he would say COVID was bullshit and he would purposely yeah. cough on people until he actually made someone sick and that's what happens this because the, he thinks it's stupid yeah. I, we've met people like this who are don't believe anything they're like oh that's bullshit you don't have that yeah 
he was like, oh, Bill's always making up stuff all the time. Bill literally never lies about anything. Like, you're just a dick. Yeah. You know? Bill's just fucking weird. A... Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, so he Bill has tons of allergies, and he it comes up that he has, you know, he ends up telling about all his allergies and that peanuts are a big thing. So Alan doesn't believe him, puts peanuts in his food. Kaboom. He ends, Bill ends up in the hospital possibly dying yeah. you know and this it's is a really good one really for his mom too we finally uh claudia christian oh my god comes around. she's really good yes so fantastic and i love the like the, it was a very small moment but the scene between her and like and sam's mom when she brings the boys to the hospital and they're talking about you know how much the, the stuff they did when the kids were when the boys were young and and how they fucked them up and and you know she's just like I, I was drinking so much and doing all these things and this that Sam's mom who is just the sweetest most lovely uh, you know clueless woman most of the time you know she's just like, I dropped him on his head, you know, just trying to make her feel better because no one's perfect. And she wants to remind her of that, that this is not her fault. It was just such a sweet little moment between the mothers. Yeah. It's a, it's one of the and best the, episodes for sure. Oh, oh, the Lindsay, when she's high, right? Or is this? No. This is, yes, this is, that's what the other main thing that happens on the episode. You know, Nick gives her shit because she's always judging and has no, basis for her judgment he's not wrong and she realizes that so she decides fine she's gonna smoke marijuana so she finally knows what it's like so at least she has some basis for her opinions you know good on her except she forgot that her mom agreed uh, signed her up to babysit and she gets she, she smokes a bunch of marijuana and then has to go babysit so it is one of the like most ridiculously funny things and um, one of the many moments where, you know, she reaches out to Millie and Millie saves her ass. Yeah. And you see, like, just, like, how good Millie is and how how uh, how good of friends that they had been for so long. And, and, and luckily, I think this bonds them again to, to still be friends um, despite their differences. And, uh, oh, what a good episode. Episode 14, we basically covered everything. This is the one I was wrong. This is where he sings her the, the ballad and that the whole Bill and his coach relationship. Is there anything you want to discuss from this that we haven't? No, this is not when he sings. He's, he sure. writes her a song and he wants to sing it for her to try to win her back. And Okay, so um, they have broken up. All right. Huh? So they have broken up at this point. Oh, yes. They okay. definitely... We forgot to mention the fact that poor Lindsay, her mom accidentally broke up with oh, her that's right. for her. Oh my that God. was so painful. <laughs> that was so, that was probably the most painful thing because I think that she might not have broken up with him after all, but her mom did it for her. Anyway, so this is the episode where he keeps trying to win her back and they're giving him stupid advice and all this stuff and then he writes her a song and right when he's going to sing it to her before they go to the Who concert Ken takes his guitar and smashes the ever loving shit out of it and says I promise you I'm doing you a favor (laughs) it was so great and this is where they accidentally run over Millie's dog and you see you see such 
such depth to Kim Kelly in this episode where she is so they're both so destroyed by this mistake that they made that she not only um, you know tries to make things right but she befriends Millie not just out of pity and then she realizes that she actually really likes her and um, they're like bawling at the like dog's grave and it's just it's so awkward but also so moving and Millie comes into the fold decides that she's going to be kind of a rebel too and then at the last minute Kim cannot bear to see her give away all, like give up all that like sweetness and innocence and tells her the truth oh, oh it's so oh the whole episode is just I'm racked with stress about them keeping the secret but in the end they do the right thing mm. uh, episode 15 brilliant noshing and moshing I have no memory of this episode I think this is one that they burned off on um on Fox Family Channel because uh, I nothing I noshing and moshing I got nothing I don't you know, I don't know that this has... This kind of feels like a throwaway episode because there's a few things that happen, but nothing really sticks. So Neil decides that he's going to be a ventriloquist all of a sudden, and it's so obnoxious. Um, uh, his brother Barry comes home for, from, for, from college, and we get to see Dave Krumholtz's older brother, which he is marvelous and lovely and uh the other thing is is that daniel you finally see a, a glimpse of his home life and the, the the stress and the pressure that's on him it's it's really the only glimpse of what he's really like and what makes him who he is so that has value and they he break kim he and kim break up for the 18,000th time <laughs> and for two seconds he decides he's gonna go punk so uh, those are the, like the, the main things, but but nothing sticks. The dummy's gone after that. The brother, you never see the brother again. He never get, he never talks about punk music ever again. And him and Kim get back together. It does. So, but yeah, you're right. It seems like a hey, we just need to fill this until we get to the next thing kind of episode where nothing matters. You see, the one thing is is like you see Neil suffering so much. How much pain it is causing him to keep the secret from his mom. Um, and so he does, he finally tells her the truth and then you see her pain in trying to live with this arrangement that they have. Like she knows. Oh, that's right. I remember uh, that. It, so it's, it has some value, but most of the things that happen never show up again. So it, it does in a way feel like a throwaway. I understand. Okay. 16 smooching and moochin. That makeout party, I will always remember how awkward and uncomfortable that is. I've never been to one of these. Ugh. I never wanted to be one at one of these. Uh, I just feel like there'd be a lot of rejection. <laughs> like, ew. I think that I had a deep, deep, deep fear of spin the bottle for most of my life because Teen Wolf, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't necessarily think that I was a nerd geek whatever i don't really know what i was in high school or middle school but but i was very very insecure about boys and i had 
boyfriends, but I never did anything with them. Like, I didn't even really, I didn't know how to kiss. I didn't know how to do anything. Even when I was in high school, I was like, spin the bottle. I would be like, oh, I gotta go do something <laughs> else. Yeah, I get it. Be- because, because I was just so, I guess I was just really immature and didn't know how to handle stuff like that. Mine, so mine was even... all the fear of rejection. I imagine if it ever happens, someone would be like, oh, gross, fuck that, I'm out. I mean, I don't really think that my feelings were that much different, but I, I don't, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure why. I don't necessarily think that I was unattractive. In fact, I think I was probably kind of cute little kid, but, or like, you know, middle school, high school, but I just was super insecure about what to do with a boy. Yeah. So, um, I think that this, actually really hit home for me like I felt I really connected with Sam in that respect uh-huh. when he's just like he's just like I don't but what am I supposed to do like I don't even I don't even understand like what ha- what like their whole conversation about kissing and like but why would you want a tongue in your mouth you're supposed to use your lips you know that whole thing right which right. is like so trying to figure it oh out. my god I relate to this so much so so much yeah um what else happened in that episode? Um, I guess the whole thing was super weird with, like, Nick staying at their house. And you can see the dynamic with, like, Lindsay and, and her dad and how she just doesn't understand him. And, like, why are, you th- why are you acting this way with this person? It's so different than how you would treat me. But she... But they have real moments where they discuss it. And he's super good to Nick, and you can see him, like, just, like, desperate, I guess, for some, like, parental affection or guidance. Because his dad is, like, so just militant and cold. And this is is when he sells his drum kit, and Nick freaks out. And they provide him with some comfort and solace for a bit. So I do think that that was a really good moment for, like, the Weir family, you know? Yeah, as, more it, of as that. weird as, as his dad can be and kind of, like, ridiculous with his, and they died uh, kind of thing. Uh, I knew a guy and he died. Yeah. Then, but he's got a lot he, of heart. He's just trying to protect them. And he look, he's trying right. to protect everybody. He's a good dad. He's just overboard. Yeah, he wants to. Yeah, he wants to protect everyone, even though he doesn't understand them. Even these like burnouts that show up at his house, you know, he he mostly just wants to make sure they're okay because he's so good to Kim when when she comes over and's crying her face off, and when Nick, you know, sleeps at their house and for whatever reason decides it's cool to sleep on their couch in just his little speedo underpants. I mean, (laughs) that was so awkward. Oh my God. Um, anyway, that's our second. Oh wait, we have two more episodes left. Uh, the little things. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll let you lead. Oh, no, it's just like this was such an interesting thing because for the first time, basically for the first time, they, they talk about political stuff. Um, you know, she is a Democrat, and she's a very strong girl who has a lot of opinions and does give her dad a hard time throughout the series about, you know, well, why should a woman do this? Why can't I do that? Um, so, but this is where um, the president is coming and she's supposed to ask a question and then you get to see more about her 
for ideas and beliefs. Um, and this is the other big thing that happens is that suddenly Cindy, wait, no, it was the episode before that Cindy wants to go out with him at the makeout part. Duh. And this is the episode where he decides that they're going to, he's going to plan the date. They go see the jerk. She hates it. He decides that he can't be with her. A brave, painful moment. But this also, like you you mentioned with Ken's thing, that is a really complicated, especially in 1980. Like, things are different now, but still it would be complicated, I would think, now. But back then, he's just I mean, I still think it was complicated in 2000 when it was brought up. It took a lot of guts to do this episode, and I think they treat it as best they could. Because it is, to pretend like it's not complicated would be a lie. Especially if you're reflecting back to 1980. That his feelings on how to, how to wrap his head around what she told him and what that means for him, what that means for them as a couple, uh, is really, it's real. And does he act like a jerk? Yeah, maybe, but it's real. Yeah, it's a really good uh, one. Of the, not the fun episodes, but it's an important episode. There's, of course, a few yes. scattered throughout. And, of course, we get to the big bad finale. Good Lord, do I love this finale. You could end the show. I will just good. say that, too, like, we're not really mentioning, like, all of the, like, cameos and uh, guest spots that we see. But this episode was just, I thought, just a brilliant little moment with Ben Stiller as, like, like the secret servant service agent who like has a meltdown in uh rosso's office about his career path which was just so great okay finale um i'll say this real quick this is like one of the few cameos they had in the show like purpose cameos to try to save the show but it still fits the mentions in here wikipedia they're pushing for like britney spears and somebody had to show up because that's one thing that that 70s show does suffer from is too many cameos from people who hey you remember him from the 70s that kind of damaged the show a bit. But um, Freaks and Geeks really tried not to do that. But I get why Ben Stiller, he was really good friends with Judd Apatow and probably helped raise the ratings a little bit. Not enough, motherfucker. No, this is by the time the show, by this point, it was canceled and these got burned off in the summer on NBC in one night. But yeah. the big bad finale is Nick is now kind of lost. He is dating, uh, shit, from Party Down, right? She's a disco dancer with him. Lizzie Kaplan. Lizzie Kaplan, thank you. That he becomes a disco dancer. I love that he goes even or he goes, uh, even Kiss went disco and he isn't lying, they kinda went disco. Right. <laughs> um, just just accept it. Yep. Yeah, that's part of the fun, but the best is that Daniel finds his way into the group, the A V club. And he he loves being part of it, and that they end it with them playing Dungeons and Dragons, and he's found a group where I maybe he belongs. That if there was a season two, that maybe he wouldn't be a freak. That he would be able to balance those two worlds the way that Lindsay has. Yeah, I mean, it was it was weird how it was given to him as a punishment, but it, it but he they but they accepted him and encouraged him, and he yeah found some like comfort in that. Uh, I don't know what what would have happened with him and his disco. I don't know. That was all a little bit weird. But this is also when she gets introduced to the Grateful Dead. Freaking loves it. And she has her conflict on whether she's going to go to this very, very prestigious educational program over the summer or 
dump everybody, lie to her parents, and travel, tour, follow whatever the dead for two weeks. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> the biggest, the biggest finale, just like off she goes into that bus to follow the dead. Ugh. So beautiful. I assume that she came back the next summer and was fine, but <laughs> what? I don't know that she's she's not not no. fine. Some people come back from the Grateful Dead. They're not the same. <laughs> she can be different and still be okay. The uh, so it says here, Paul Feig's plan for the characters was Lindsay was become, uh, a lawyer after following the Grateful Dead for years. Sam would have joined the drama club, while that's not giving him much to work with. Um, Neil would have coped with his parents by joining the swing choir. Bill was going to join the basketball team and becoming a jock. Leading to a tension with the geeks. Daniel was going to end up mm. in jail. Kim would have been pregnant. And Nick would have been pressured to join the army. None of that seems too surprising. But also not that interesting. Yep. I don't want to see any of that. So I'm glad the show ended. It was 93rd in the rankings. Wow. That's. I mean that's. I don't know where I turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger for a second. Wow. <laughs> Get to the chopper. <laughs> but also overall like. I realize that IMDb is not anything but, like, you know, normal people's, like, views of things. But I think that matters, that it is such a highly ranked show, 8.8 overall out of 10, with, like, and that was just one season, that it is, maybe it wasn't appreciated enough at the time, but now it is, you know, people see it for what it was, true genius, and yes, we saw it as it happened. And here's the thing is the the great part is this is before the DVD explosion really happened. I mean, yes, The Matrix was the first million dollar seller the year prior, but like getting TV shows on DVD, at best you had Star Trek. So a lot of these companies didn't bother to get the rights to the music or other things so they could put it out on DVD, which has plagued a lot of shows and taken forever. Whereas Freaks and Geeks went to Shout Factory, and this is like Shout Factory's coming out party. It's the first time I had heard of them, and this is kind of like the one that launched them. And they spent every penny. They got all of the rights. None of it's been changed. For the music and stuff? Yeah, because the music is so important to the show. And all the posters and, and TV clips and stuff like that. They were smart enough to just get all of that lined up. Whereas a lot of shows, they suffer from the fact that you cannot put it out because someone won't give her the rights, so they have to change things. So, uh, seriously, there's many versions of this on Blu-ray. I got the simple, straightforward version, which was like I think thirty-nine dollars, but I got it like a clearance, worth every mm-hmm. penny, loaded to the gills with extras. I can't afford that yearbook one, no way. Oh, I have to look and see what version I have, but um, regardless, I'm really want to you know commit some energy to those extras. Yeah, mine is the updated version with the reunion panel. So hopefully you have that one. Oh, cool. I'll have to take a look. But, you know, so we've talked about how these people, you know, most of them have gone on to other things. I mean, many of them had series. Many of them have been tons of movies. You know, Linda Cardellini has done tons of stuff. Um, John Francis Daly. I mean, what a glow up like this, you know, from such a tiny little wee dude who was really 14 when he was in the show. You know, he grew up, was on Bones as, as an adult, got to show his 
muscles and be a grown up and has gone on to write and direct some really funny movies, you yeah. know? You know, they've all had a lot of um, opportunities to do really cool things. Right. Well, and, most of them seem to have know, a hand in ha- uh, creating their own material. I mean, either they're directing or yeah. writing or both. And it's just so interesting how. A lot of them have geared their, their career, but Martin Starr is the one that just shocked me because when this show ended, he had nothing. There was n- He was the one with the lowest amount of things on his IMDb, and I thought it was over for him. And lo and behold, he grows up you know, and, and becomes this whole different type of actor, and he fucking kills me on Silicon Valley. <laughs> oh, you know, I love him. I, I, I'm not truly committed to silicon valley but i've watched a little bit of it but my i think my true love for him is like party down and um this you know the the more most recent spider-man movies where he's like the teacher who's really ridiculous um but yeah it's super nice to see him um as a grown-up and he's still a, a kind of dork but definitely come come into his own you know yeah i think pretty much everybody has taken off so it's good because sometimes you see a show like this and a lot of them fall behind especially child actors there they have oh, their yeah. heyday and then they're just dumped and you can say it was almost every single last one of these shows but i think everyone that was in the main cast has gone on to have a healthy career yeah so um, some of them some of them like mind-blowingly good you know <laughs> Um, Franco, like the second he left this show is when he did James Dean, and that's when everybody's like, "Who the well, fuck is this guy?" I'm gonna tell you, I think that it was while we were watching this show that we were like, "Do you see that? He needs to be James Dean." Like we could see it. Yeah. He he had something about him that just seemed so familiar, and then when he made that movie, that movie is gold. He is so good in it. But I mean, so many of these people, have, you know, Seth Rogen has had so many like different versions of him and you know there's a there, he's definitely done obnoxious lots but there's so much more to him and i really enjoy a lot of his movies and you know jason siegel and just everybody's done such you know interesting and vast things with their career so uh good on apatow and you know paul feig for recognizing the talent yeah i mean sam levine probably has the lowest exposure but he's gone more into voiceover and radio and podcasting hey that's great too yeah as long as you uh you doing what you love and you don't get left behind like so many generations of youth actors whatever and they don't know what to do when they become an adult yeah and let me discuss the other thing too is that there's more options now yeah definitely it does seem like with so many streaming channels and independent movies and you can make your own stuff i think that but also you have to give credit to judd apatow he gave so many opportunities to these guys to save their careers or make their careers i mean look at james franco was on the ropes when he made pineapple express he had so many duds and he looked like he was going to head back to tv or direct a video town and then all of a sudden Pineapple Express comes out and it saves his career and, and changed everything for a while. Uh, gave Seth Rogen his opportunity with 40 Year Virgin, then knocked up, and then uh, produced uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So he really is there for his crew. Yeah, it said something about how, you know, that's by continuing to give them roles and working with them, it's his way of, you know, kind of not not accepting that the, the show got canceled. Like, yeah. that's his way of... <laughs> continuing 
Yeah, and it the just legacy, it, it, you know? it feeds into it because before Freaks and Geeks, Judd Apatow's career was kind of going nowhere. He had done uh, Cable Guy, which at the time everybody hated, and he had done Celtic Pride, which was considered a very, very awful movie, and he was just going nowhere. Yeah. <sighs> and we launched a whole thing with Paul Feig, too. I mean, just the show really was ground zero for a whole generation of comedy. So, if you haven't seen the show, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And what have you been <laughs> doing with your life for the last 21 years? Uh, go fix it right now. It, every episode is on Hulu. It's not difficult to get your hands on. And it is the best 18-episode show you will ever commit time to. Seriously. So, and, do and, it. and Joe Flaherty. Or Paul? Did I just say it wrong? Yeah, Joe Flaherty is... No. No, Paul Flaherty? What am I saying? What am I fucking saying? Joel, Joe. His name is Joe. Oh my god, I got screwed up for a second. Uh, but uh, thank god he was discovered for a new generation because he was like the one SCTV guy that no one noticed. Like, he just disappeared. Well, Good. <laughs> I don't know how to respond There's to that. There's no way to end this, sorry. Um, that is the end of this episode, the longest episode we've ever done, which tells you how passionate we are about this show. Um, check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. You'll find all our episodes there. Uh, Mindy, thank you for one hell of an episode. Thanks, yo. All right, we're out. All right. Whew.